Mr. Mondays Alive, you're listening to the Talk Chicago 1690 WBON. I'm your host, Curtis R. Monday, and you're listening to the Urban Business Roundtable. Call me live in the studio at 773-591-1690. That's 773-591-1690. If you follow me right now on uh, uh, Facebook, uh, be sure to turn on the broadcast at WBON 1690 AM, the Talk Chicago, uh, or you can follow me on iHeartRadio. Uh, the show is called the Urban Business Roundtable. It's a show dedicated to the creation and growth of the urban entrepreneur and a small business owner. We got three primary goals here on the Urban Business Roundtable. One, we want to redefine the word urban. We want to help the urban community be able to leverage our purchasing power. Despite all the negative news that comes out of our community, the urban community still has a lot of power. We have a lot of purchasing power. We have money. Our problem is not that we don't have money or the resources, is that we don't know how to effectively use that. We don't know how to create our own bully pulpit, but we need to really, really learn. And hopefully the, the Urban Business Roundtable is a way to help us do that. Two, we want to be a resource for the creation, sustaining, and growth of small businesses and entrepreneurships. COVID-19 uh, has really ravaged small businesses, especially African-American-owned businesses. We are really, really a dying breed right now. And we're not getting any help from our federal government. They can't seem to agree that COVID-19 is a horrific pandemic and can't seem to agree on any kind of relief to help the individuals who really need it. Instead, they're arguing about every other thing political. And you kind of saw that play out on this, if you want to call it a debate, (laughs) on that reality show argument that we saw the other day uh, on on TV. And so, again, uh, we want to be a resource for, again, to help people create. You know, it's still a good time to be a small business owner. Despite the uh, the pandemic, uh, there's a lot of new ideas and new new innovations being birthed through this whole entire pandemic. I wrote the book, The Game, How to Become a Successful Real Estate Investor During This Pandemic. I've got some other things I'm working on that's happened. That's been birthed through this. Even on WVON, we got Vaughn TV, which you'll hear about more in the upcoming weeks, a new endeavor that the station is doing, and President Melanie Spann Cooper is spearheading. That's been birthed during this tough time. So, again, we still want to be a catalyst here on UBR to help individuals create, sustain, and grow their small businesses. And then, three, we want to provide small business owners and entrepreneurs access to capital and opportunities to grow um, their businesses. And so, again, we want to make sure that we're uh, dispersing the information out there. You can listen to the Urban Business Roundtable live every Saturday morning from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. and a condensed recap on Wednesdays at 8.30 a.m. and Thursdays at 6.05 p.m. We've got a great show today. Uh, Coming up around 9.35, we got Shelly Archambault. She's an African-American business leader and author of the new book, Unapologetically Ambitious. Take risks, break barriers, and create your own luck. I want to hear from her. She has a great career with starting getting started out in Silicon Valley and several other endeavors, and now is doing her thing on the on the author tour. So I want to chat with her. And then coming up around 920, I don't really even know how to categorize this guy because he's a physician, he's a medical professional, but he's really an entrepreneur, <laughs> um, to, to say the least. Uh, so we got medical professional and entrepreneur, Dr. William Gates, Chicago's finest, Bronzeville bread, uh, is going to join us. I want to say good morning to my man, Mr. Prince Stedman Noble, 
following me right now, checking out the show on uh, uh, Facebook Live. Prince Noble was a guest here on the Urban Business Roundtable, always doing his thing. Before COVID happened, um, I was going to try to hook up with him and do his show and spend some time talking to him and being on the other side of the of the equation in terms of being interviewed. We still got to make that happen. Um, you can catch me on all social media. Follow me on all social media outlets on IG at C Monday, on Facebook that Curtis that's Curtis R Monday. Uh, be sure to go to the website www.curtisrmonday.com. Pick up the book The Game. How to Become a Successful Real Estate Investor. You want to get a step-by-step field manual. Um, you interested in real estate investing. They always wanted to do it. They don't know how to get it, get involved. Scared to death because you don't know enough about it. Well, this is a way to, to, to do it. And if you need some more one-on-one loving, some TLC, some one-on-one attention, call my office at 708-647-1005. Let's get your financial house in order. You know, a lot of things have happened this week, so many things. I always try to share with you different nuggets that have been dropped in my spirit. And one thing I want to tell you guys is that in business and in life, habits are everything, right? Your habits, the things you do on a daily basis are everything. They are the key to your success. I don't care what it is. If it's a personal relationship, if it's in business, habits are everything. And so when you're in a business and you set a goal to do something, your habits that you adopt are going to be essential to your success or ultimate failure of being able to accomplish that goal. So one, you got to get into the habit of identifying the outcome, right? You got to see the thing that you're trying to do. If, if the, if the goal is to become a real estate investor, you got to see that outcome. You got to identify that and look and, and embrace what that looks like. The second thing is you got to commit to the processes and the systems and the practices that's needed to achieve that outcome, right? And so if the goal is to become a real estate investor, then you have to do things that put you towards that goal or to achieving that outcome on a daily basis. It doesn't have to be big things. It could be incrementally getting better, right? You just need to get better at least 1% a day, right? I think people think that if they have a goal in mind, that they need to, from the day that they say, I'm going to do this goal, accomplish this goal, they need to get there from here to there instantaneously. No, it's not going to be instantaneously. It has to be incremental. You just want incremental processes. If you can, uh, uh, if you can uh, commit to being uh, better or trying to improve yourself at least 1% a day, after a while, you will look up, you'll be 30, 40 better than what you were when you started. And so you're on the road to success at that point. So again, yeah, commit to the processes and habits and systems, or I'm sorry, commit to that, to the processes and systems that's needed to achieve the outcome you're looking for. So if that's real estate investing, you got to study, right? You got to, you got to study things, all things, real estate investing. You got to get mentorship. Call me. (laughs) Got to get books, pick up the game. But you got to do things on a daily basis, get in the habit of doing these things, these systems and processes to help you get to the desired outcome. And I think three and lastly and most importantly, you have to not focus your entire energy on the thing you want to do, but focus in on the identity on the identity that's necessary to achieve what it is you're trying to do. What do I mean by identity? You have to embody and identify what habits or what things need to be done in the identity of the thing you want to achieve. So if, again, if I want to become a real estate investor, well, 
what's the identity of a successful real estate investor? Well, that person's going to be focused. They're going to be determined and they're going to be consistent, you know? So you want to focus in on the identity of the thing that you want to achieve, right? So that's how you do it. That's one of the things that, that, that we um, uh, tune into. So uh, give me a call right now, Stupid Studio at 773-591-1690. I want to hear from you, 773-591-1690. Haven't gone Facebook Live with the show in a long time. In the studio before COVID happened, you could hear what I'm talking about on the air and who I'm talking with. Um, now I'm in my remote location recording and broadcasting, so you can't quite hear unless you tune into the station. So be sure to tune into the station to catch these interviews. I want to say good morning to Holly Robinson. Good morning to you, Holly. Uh, Delta Sigma Theta and longtime policyholder and client of mine. I appreciate you and your support. You know, before we get to this, we're going to take a break shortly, but before we get to the show, you know, I'll, I'll be remiss if I didn't. Uh, hey, it's been a hell of a week. <laughs> it's been a hell of a week. Tuesday, it started off with the debates uh, between uh, President Trump and uh, Vice President Biden, and it wasn't much of a debate, just a big arguing and yell fest and uh, a non-adherence to the rules that were agreed to by uh, both uh, parties. But, you know, nevertheless, I, th- I think the results are already baked in. But, you know, we all got hit with a bombshell the other morning when uh, we woke up to the news that uh, President Trump had, you know, contracted the coronavirus. Um, and, hey, you know, I-, I told a close friend of mine that I really need to go ahead and go to church because my <laughs> my reaction to when I heard the news it wasn't very Christian like, <laughs> and so y'all got to pray for me. I'm still a work in progress, man. But I mean, hell, this coronavirus is is uh, is real. I mean, for all the the posturing and propaganda to, you know, uh, well, you know, he knew it was real because we got him on tape saying it was real. That he understood it, it, it how serious it, it was, but chose to downplay it to the American people and not really share it with us. And so uh, for all the, hey, China did it, and it's not real, and it'll be magically gone, and it'll be gone in no time. It'll be gone by Easter, and we'll be okay, and and it'll just disappear, and there you go. There you go. There's a famous um, uh, interview that Malcolm X had uh, at the time of President Kennedy's assassination. And if you ever seen the movie X or studied Malcolm X, um, the um, Honorable Elijah Muhammad uh, I think at the time uh, uh, forbid any other ministers on speaking about about the death and the assassination of President Kennedy at the time because the nation loved him. But Malcolm X spoke out about it. And I'm paraphrasing what he said in that interview, but he basically said and made an analogy about chickens coming home to roost. He said, mentioned himself being a farm boy. He always felt good about the fact that when the chickens came home. He felt good about that. And what he basically was trying to refer to was that all the evilness and wickedness, as he said it, that was perpetrated uh, on African-Americans uh, had finally come by, by white America at the time, had finally come to snuff out one of their very own. You know, real um, famous interview and, and was a pivot, a turning point um, in, in his life. But that was the first thought that came to mind. When I heard that Donald Trump, President Trump, uh, had been uh, infected with the coronavirus. So we don't wish uh, anybody um, any, any death or um, ill in terms of their, their health. And so we pray that, you know, wife, First Lady Trump, uh, and also President Trump, uh, and all those impacted and infected by COVID-19 have speedy recoveries. But, yeah, I do need to go to church because, you know, that was my, my, my politically correct response. But I was just like, you know. Anyway, that's another show. 
So let's take a break. When we come back on the other side, 935, we're going to be joined by entrepreneur uh, Shelly Archambault. Uh, and coming up immediately after the break, Dr. William Yates, medical professional and entrepreneur, going to hear and talk to him about his story. So keep it locked here on the Urban Business Roundtable. Welcome back to the Urban Business Roundtable. I'm your host, Curtis R. Monday. Give me a call, 773-591-1690. That's 773-591-1690. If you follow me on social media, tune in to the station at WVON 1690 AM or go to iHeartRadio if you're out of distance, not in the Chicagoland area, saying good morning to everybody that's on social media that's following me right now. We were just talking about uh, the art of the pivot. I was telling individuals that you have to be able to, to, to pivot. Uh, as an entrepreneur, you may start off one thing, may stop doing one thing, but circumstances like disruptors in business will cause you or create you to pivot to other things. Sometimes the need to pivot uh, could be a, 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 a be a product of your just ambition or having an interest. You know, I had an interest in real estate investing, and that was the thing that sparked it. And then my pivot for the real estate investing became my why. You know, in terms of my son. But sometimes your pivot could also be because of a personal experience, like a traumatic experience that you may have. So my next guest, you know, I said I had a hard time really describing him because he, he, he does so much. But uh, he was the first hair transplant surgeon in Chicago uh, and the Midwest uh, to offer follicle unit extraction. And he's taught this pr- uh, procedure to many surgeons. Uh, it's a pretty difficult procedure, but it's minimally invasive method of trans- you know, transplantation. Uh, he's leveraged his experience and developed technology that would help reduce the ability of someone to bring a gun into a building or a school. And as a result, he created a separate business entity called Yates Project. And today, due to, to the coronavirus pandemic, he's began making thermal scanners that offer touchless temperature readings for businesses, schools, and public buildings. I want to say good morning to my guest, Dr. William Yates. Good morning to you, Dr. Yates. How you doing, sir? Good. How are you? Thank I, you for such a generous introduction. Nah, I mean it's 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 not generous when it's true. <laughs> nah. I'm not I'm not gonna argue with you there. <laughs> uh yeah, like like I tell all my guests, Doctor Yates, um, mm-hmm. uh, my sincere prayers that we had this as you and I had this dialogue that uh, you and family members and everyone close to you are are safe and healthy during this during this pandemic. Correct. So, Doctor Yates, you know, again, I mean, man, you got a great uh, a, a great story. Tell us, how did you first fall in love with the medical uh, profession? How, how did that happen? Well, I, you know, I'm a South Side guy. I grew up in 32nd and King Drive and went to Kenwood High School. And in the middle of my high school years, my mother died of colon cancer. And it was pretty traumatic. You know, I was 14, 15 years old. And I wasn't doing very well in school at the time. But she was a teacher. And she always told me that, you know, she wanted me to study hard and be a doctor. And once she died, I just felt that I owed her to continue her legacy to do the best I could. So after she died, I just kind of turned the corner, a light bulb went on, and I studied as hard as I could and became a surgeon. And it was mainly because of her, you know, of her pushing me when uh, I was younger. Uh, she was an elementary school teacher, and I always liked science, and I had a great family uh, doctor. His name was Dr. Walter McFarland, and he saw something in me that, you know, he didn't see in other people, and he thought I should do it. And I really wanted to make sure that somebody else did not lose a parent at such a young age, you know, because it was pretty traumatic. You know, even now to talk about it, it hurts, but I just did not want that to be the case for anybody. So that's what 
propelled me into medicine. Yeah, yeah. We have a similar background because my my mother, as I, I lost my mom in 2018, but my mom was the, the, the architect and thank you. She was the architect and taskmaster of my of my drive. She's the one that pushed me. She's the one that really, really gave me the, the nudging to stay in school and to, to work hard and to focus on education. So right. I, I can agree with that. Um, so you're in the medical profession and you're doing well and then you get into um, uh, the hair transplant. Uh, kind of emphasis. Talk to us a little bit about that. Right, but I got to fill in one more gap. When I was in the medical profession, I was a trauma surgeon. So, you know, like say when you watch TV and you see people get shot up or get hit by a car or stabbed, the the guys they call into the emergency department to take them to surgery, you know, like on those Chicago Hope or whatever, they say, call Dr. So-and-so, take them to OR stat. That was you. the guy, that was me, the guy doing the surgery, you know, so... I got pretty fed up with all the gang violence. And I was in St. Louis at one of the big hospitals, but gang violence is the same in every city. Yeah. So all these kids were smart kids, you know, who were getting shot, you know, and I developed relationships with them. And the reason that they were getting shot wasn't because these guys were dumb and they were bad. It was all environmental, just like that movie Trading Places where, yeah. you know, the guy's down and then he goes to a rich place and he becomes smart. Right. These were good kids. But I got tired of just the shooting and said, you know, with this Columbine thing that we need to do something better and provide metal detectors, x-ray equipment and the handheld so people cannot bring guns into schools and public places. So that started that business of gun prevention basically while I was a trauma surgeon. So I started this because I always felt no one gets shot in an airplane terminal. You know, you go to Disney World, you know, and kids, you know, nobody's getting shot in the airport. So I felt that all schools should stop these shenanigans and public places and deter people from bringing a gun. So that's how I started this business. Kind of at the same time, I started the hair transplant business. I got out of trauma, started this, you know, violence prevention program and perfected hair transplants. One for one selfish reason, because I was bald and (laughs) I wanted to look better. And so, uh, and I found out it worked, so I just kind of perfected the technique to where it works. So I kind of did both of those things together. Okay, so so I don't want that to go unnoticed. So the just the sheer weight um, and and the draining nature of being a, a trauma surgeon prompted you to to pivot. I was talking to individuals about pivoting, doing something differently, right. or pivoting. Right. And and you not only go into a specialized field in terms of hair transplant and perfect the technique at the right. same time while you're doing this, which that's, that's hard enough, right? That, 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 that requires, cause anytime you start a new business, right? It's something new. You got to spend time at it to perfect it. They say you spend like what I think what 20,000 hours, 10,000 hours at something to become proficient. Some like right. 30,000 become an expert. So you got right. a, a new business. You started and you're trying to, to, to get that, and at the same time, you start the other business uh, dealing with uh, surveillance and metal, de- metal detectors and things of that nature. Correct. I don't want that to go unnoticed because that, that takes a tremendous uh, – that's a God-given gift. It takes capacity and, and kudos to you. What, what you. What's amazing to me, though, when I read your story was how you were able to take uh, a personal um, story – personal trauma, albeit professionally with what you saw with the patients coming through your, your ER, but also right. I, I, growing up in Chicago. And then yep. also I think that you had a gun pulled on you 
And how did you know that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, that, who wrote that biography? Yeah. That's, the, that's the truth. Yes, well, I did. Well, man, if you live in Chicago long enough, it happens to, it's, it's happened to yeah, all. Yeah, I didn't even know that was in my bio. <laughs> yeah, but that changed basically, and I had to tell my family that no one, you don't want to be scared to go out, but you really have to pay attention to your surroundings. And right. I was walking my dog. And a car pulled up to me on like 35th and King Drive, right around where I live. And these guys rolled down the window and pointed a gun at me and said, hey, give me, he said, come to the window or something. And and all the times you think to yourself, if somebody pulls a gun on me, I would duck down, kick the gun, throw a rock. <laughs> all you do is free. I just, I couldn't move. Right. I stood still like a, you know, like a deer in the headlight. And the car, luckily the car wasn't close. The guy did fire a shot. He missed. And by the time he did that, I ran, and they still backed down the street, tried to get me. But it's real, so I'm very cognizant of my surroundings. You know, Absolutely. that taught me a big lesson right there. Got to, got to be, and that experience you know, helps you, you know, create the second business in, in terms of the metal detectors and things. Oh of that yeah, nature. yeah, absolutely. Because if you have a metal detector. Any place, just like the airport, people know that, I mean, it deters, to, to have a crime, you have to have opportunity. It takes those people that have a little sense to say, hey, I can't go in there with a the gun, they're going to find it. Now, people that are just, just, as we say, really crazy, they may not be deterred by that. They might still come in with the gun, but at least you have some warning that somebody's coming in with something. Absolutely. You know, at least you get some warning. And the thing that bothered me about that, we get a lot of pushback from parents who say, I don't want my kid to go to school with like he's going into jail, you know, or she's going to jail. And then my question back to them is, well, number one, how many times has your kid been to jail to know what going into jail looks like, you know, but your kids have gone to O'Hare airport and walked through that to go to Disney world. And they didn't have a problem with that. So I think the way the world is now is too many guns on the street. So to stop the bleeding, I think those the things I sell should be in every public place just to deter those people that have a little sense from coming in and shooting the place up. Absolutely. To that point, things you sell, COVID-19 has happened and you've pivoted again in respect to your business model. Talk to us about what you're doing now. Yeah, what we did, and it was based mainly on the Asian model, and, you know, because I'm always watching trends around the world. You know, you just don't want to, you know, reinvent the wheel. You just want to make a better wheel. So in Asia, they had non-contact thermal detectors, kind of like those night goggles, you know, that the soldiers use in Afghanistan to see in the night by detecting thermal heat. And you can detect by standing six feet away from somebody if they have a fever or not. And it's a it's a good idea because, you know, with COVID or any infectious disease, most people will have a fever. Now, half of the people with COVID don't have a fever, but that also means half the people do have a fever. So I'd rather know the half that have a fever that they're not coming into my school or my business. The other half then that you depend on testing, you know, all the frequent testing. And uh, with COVID, the real reason it keeps going, and you mentioned, you know, Trump is sick now, is everybody, nobody believes anything is real until it touches you personally. Yeah. You know, I, I wouldn't have believed that colon cancer could kill a young lady unless it killed my mother at 14. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be afraid of colon cancer, you know, yeah. until it touched me. So that's the problem with COVID. Since it's not touching a lot of people, they think it's, you know, some mystical thing that's out there, but it's very real. So this temperature scanner 
can pick up half of the people that are symptomatic and say, hey, wait a minute, you can't come in. And I think once COVID goes away, it's still a good idea because we know now that people shouldn't be at work with even the flu because something like that now can mutate and can kill you. So if you have a fever at all, you should stay home. Absolutely. Dr. Yates, I want you to give our listening audience information about your company and where can they learn more about your products? Okay. Uh, My company's called Yates Protect, and the phone number is 312-261-0872. That's one of our main numbers. And they can just look online at Yates Protect and see all of everything we offer. We offer all the PPE. We offer the pods for the desks so kids can go back to school. We have a comprehensive program for that. And for restaurants, we know in Chicago, for them to survive, they have to stay outside. So we've developed outdoor pods with heating so they can still, you know, do business in the wintertime. That's wow. one of our newest projects. Man, phenomenal, brother. Keep up the great work, man. Keep, thank peace you. Peace and blessings to you and your family. Yeah, th- thank you for letting me speak today. I do appreciate it. All right, brother. Blessings. Thank you. Let's take a quick break. When we come back on the other side, uh, we got some more uh, great, talented people here on the Urban Business Roundtable. We'll be right back. Short break. Welcome back to the Urban Business Roundtable. I'm your host, Curtis R. Monday. Call me live at the studio at 773-591-1690. That's 773-591-1690. To get your financial house in order, call my office at 708-647-1005. And be sure to pick up the book, The Game, How to Become a Successful Real Estate Investor at www.curtisrmonday.com. My last guest, Dr. William Gates, Yates. Um, phenomenal, uh, has done so many things. He really embodies the art of the pivot. Trauma surgeon to uh, becoming a, a hair specialist or hair transplants to pivoting to surveillance with metal detectors and things to, to keep us safe, pivoting to the thermal um, radars to, to check the temperature in the COVID age. And now pivoting to create the pods because we live in Chicago. So with social distance and COVID, people have been eating outside. I know that if, when I have gone out to eat, it's been outside. I feel more comfortable outside. Well, Chicago has cold weather. We're the windy city where we've got that Hulk coming in this time of year. And so outside may not be doable. Now he's creating pods to help individuals be able to eat outside. So great information. I appreciate him. Our next guest is pretty much the same. Uh, phenomenal. Uh, she's an African-American business leader and one of high tech's First female African-American CEOs. She currently serves as a Fortune 500 board member, holding board seats at Verizon, Nordstrom, Roper Technologies, and Okta. Uh, she also has a new book entitled Unapologetically Ambitious, Take Risks, Break Barriers, and Create Your Own Luck, set for release on October 6, 2020. I want to say good morning to my next guest, Ms. Shelly Archambault. Good morning to you, Shelly. How you doing? Good morning, Curtis. How are you doing this morning? I can't complain, and, and thank you for taking time out to talk to me on this Saturday. And as I tell all my guests, my sincere prayers as we have this conversation, that you, your family, your circle, people you love and care for are all healthy and safe during this tough time that we call COVID-19. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it, and, and same to you and all your listeners. All right, all right. 
I mean, again, Shelly, like when I read your bio and, and, and got the opportunity to kind of learn more about you, I, I was just impressed, you know, to, to be to be candid. You, you've been a trailblazer on so many different levels. Help me understand. How did you let's start with, with, with tech first. How did you how did that love affair happen? Like, how did you get find yourself in Silicon Valley? Oh, you know, it's interesting. I I actually decided early in life, when I say early, I mean in high school, okay. that I wanted to run a business. And um, when I was listening to people, because I'm a big believer in listening, people will drop gems and wisdom all the time, and you just have to listen for it. And someone said to me once that, you know, if you work in industries that are growing, the opportunities are better for you to move forward faster because they're growing and they need people and they never have enough people. So if you're good at what you do, you get more opportunity. So I got into tech, not because I actually fell in love with tech and computers and programming, but because tech was growing. Yeah. And I said, okay, tech's the industry for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Now you, and from my purview, you had two challenges, one and probably like the two thousands, the, the tech, the, the tech industry went through a metamorphosis. Well, the, the tech has had busts and booms. It's kind of kind of gone up and down. And so you, you got that, and that's just part of the normal business cycle. But then you're also you're an African-American woman, right? And so that has to create unique challenges also. Talk to us about your experience in terms of how you navigated the, as an African-American professional, as an African-American woman, how are you able to navigate the, the tech industry doing those ups and downs? Well, I'll be candid. When I first got to Silicon Valley, I was shocked. I, you know, here's Silicon Valley, right? Innovative and forward thinking and right. A lot of hustle, all these things going on. I just knew it had to be diverse. <laughs> and of course it wasn't. Um, so my very first CEO job is a great example of it because here I am, I'm ready to be CEO. I'm ready to run a business, Right. but the dot-com bubble had just burst. So this is like the first big downturn that you talked about. Um, and so when I'm out there trying to get a job, you know, I'm not going to get an A play. I'm not going to get a company that they believe is going to be successful and do well, um, because I, I don't fit the profile in any way. Um, so I said, all right, I'm going to take a company that's got challenges, right? I'll take something I need to fix, but I want to at least do it at a top tier firm. So that's what I look for. I look for a broken company for a top tier firm. And that's what I ended up getting. So one of the things that happens um, to us, is, especially women of color, is it seems that people are willing to take risks, quote, unquote, risks with us, you know, by hiring us. Yeah. When they feel, um, what should I say, almost trapped, you know, when they've got like, okay, we've tried everything else. We might as well try this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so we walk into situations a lot of times that are just hard, tough situations. And that's what this one was. And this company was burning money. They hadn't sold anything new in a couple of quarters. I mean, it was in it was in bad straits. Yeah, yeah. You know, Shelly, one of the interesting things about COVID nine. I mean, the whole twenty twenty has been a hell of a, it's been a hell of a ride, Shelly, to say <laughs> to say the least. This whole entire year. But one of the things that 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 I, I really find as I talk to other entrepreneurs is, especially black entrepreneurs, is the the sense of hopelessness. And I really try to to talk to people about trying to remain hopeful and inspired. And there are a lot of entrepreneurs that, that have done a lot of creation during this time. Like I wrote my book, you know, The Game, during this time of COVID. You equally have wrote a new book called Unapologetically Ambitious, Take Risks, Break Barriers, and Create Your Own Luck. 
help us understand, you know, what was the, the, the genesis? Why the book? What, what are you trying to do with it? And talk to us a little bit about what the book is about. Mm. So, Chris, I spent my entire life trying to strategically improve my odds to get what I wanted. Okay. Because it was very clear to me growing up that the odds weren't in my favor. And if I just did what everybody else did, I wasn't going to get anything. Sure. Um, and fortunately for me, it, it worked. All right. The strategies worked. I learned a lot of approaches, ways to overcome, and a lot of obstacles, et cetera. And I want other people to be able to do it, too. So, you know, my father didn't have a college degree, right? We moved around. I was in seven states before I was in high school. I mean, if I can rise to be a CEO in tech and a Fortune 500 board member, so can other people. But I want to give them the tools. So I wrote the book so that I could share strategies and approaches and techniques, et cetera, for how they, too, can improve their odds to get what they want out of life professionally as well as personally. Because it really, really irritates me that so many people don't have the opportunity to contribute to even half of their capability. You know, when I read when I read the title of your book, the, the first one, it, it all stuck out to me. But the, the, the take risk part is the one that, that really struck home with me, because I think that that a lot of individuals have a talent, a goal. I mean, a, a talent or, or skill set or a dream that they really have, but are afraid to take that next step because they're afraid to take a risk. And, and from my opinion, Shelly, I think that they're 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 adverse um, reaction to risk is rooted in their, their fear of failure, which I believe that's the very thing that you really need in order to be successful. Why did you specify take risk? Like how do you get a person to, to really step out there and take the risk and, and, and dare to be great and go after what they want? Right. You and I are very much aligned. Uh, risk and reward, risk and opportunity are two sides of the exact same coin. Yeah. If you don't take the risks, you can't get the rewards. Right. I mean, heck, you know it with your, you know, your money. Right. You can stick it under a mattress. OK. And, and you have it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. Or you can actually take a risk and do something with it. Invest it. Right. Put it in a whatever. Um, but it's risk and reward. So that if we don't take risks, we just won't get the opportunities. And I wanted to encourage people to take risks because I've been taking risks my, my entire life. Yeah. And the way I do that is I basically say, OK, what's the risk? What's the reward? What's the return, right? What's the potential upside? And then I ask myself, so what is the worst that could happen? There you go. And can I live with Yeah, and can I live with it? Yeah. And you know what? For most risks, you can. Yeah. The risk is being embarrassed, right? Or the risk is something doesn't work out. So you have to go find something else to do. Well, that's not completely devastating, right? So if you just ask yourself and visualize what's the worst that can happen and then say, okay, can I live with it? And are there things that I can do to actually mitigate that? Like I told you with taking the job, right? I took this really risky CEO job, but I took it with a top-tier investment company because they have a lot of relationships, right? They've got a lot of money. They've got, they've got a lot of things that I could use to mitigate this overall risk, and that worked. I built it into a global leader over 15 years, right, with 1,200 employees, customers all over the world. I mean, it worked. Yeah. So here's a selfish, quiz a selfish question for me and, and, and many other professionals who, who are at where I am in my career are curious. I mean, we always, we always had a saying, having a seat at the table, right? You, you've effectively been able to do that because you, you sit on various boards. How are you able to take your career to a point 
where you you got your seat at the table, right? Where you're actually in the boardroom and, and, and part of the the decision making. How were you able to go from that level, from the level you were to to that level? I was very intentional. Okay. I have been super intentional my entire career, which was I here I am. I'm aspiring to be a CEO, and then in my early 30s, I realized, huh, there's something called a board of directors. And the board hires and fires the CEO. <laughs> I said, okay, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I want to be able to do that. That's like my next goal. And honestly, I did the homework. And by the way, I love the word homework because homework does not stop in school. Homework is just doing the research and the Amen. work to understand and be prepared, right? Yep. So I did the homework. I'm like, all right, who are these people that are board directors? What are their skills? What are their backgrounds? What are, what are companies look for? I did all that in my early 30s so that I could then focus on making sure that I'm actually getting the skills and the experience that these organizations want. And then once I became CEO, I said, okay, now I want to get my first board seat because one of the number one requirements for most boards is they want people who have had board experience. So Hmm. let me go get experience so that by the time I'm ready to really spend time in board work, it can be my choice of the kinds of companies I serve on. So being intentional and looking to see what's required You know, the way I do this, Curtis, is it's really simple. I set a goal, and then I say, okay, what has to be true for me to achieve that goal? And then how do I make it true? And then that's how I build my plan. I say, okay, what do I need to do to make it true? And then I work hard to make it true. (laughs) And then I get a lot of help, by the way. I don't do any of this by myself. I get lots of help. Mentors, you know, supporters. I build a network. It's all of that. Yeah, yeah. Who who've been some of your your biggest mentors along the way? Um, I've been very fortunate to have some great mentors, and everything from Bill Campbell, um, maybe a name that some of your listeners have heard of, but Bill Campbell was uh, an Apple exec and a coach in Silicon Valley, really, to a lot of um, startup folks. But he was um, he was definitely a mentor of mine. You know, in the early days, I adopted mentors all over the place. You know, people think of mentors as helping you figure out what your next career step is. I think it's just important to have mentors to help you do the job you've got. Sure. Because until you ace that job you've got, it's hard to go get the next job. And almost yeah. any job you have, somebody has done before, whether it's in your industry or a different industry, and therefore go find them. Find out what they learned, what worked, what didn't. So you can start on first base and not home plate. Sure, sure, sure. The the book comes out October 6th. Where can individuals find the book, Shelly? Uh, the good news is they can find it everywhere. So it's <laughs> available on Amazon.com and Barnes & Noble. You can order it or go to your local bookstore, which I highly recommend. Definitely trying to support local bookstores. Um, so, yes, it's available for pre-order right now. And if you order now, it'll be shipped out on the 6th, which is Tuesday. Very exciting. All right, all right. I, 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 know, I know that feeling, so congratulations. The book is called unapologetically ambitious, take risks, break barriers, and create your own luck. Ms. Shelly Archambault, thank you, Shelly. I appreciate you, and God bless, and, and be safe out there. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate you having me on this morning, Curtis. Thank you, man. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We could have we really done a whole show just with Shelly, like but we're both of them, Dr. Yates and Shelly, because uh, we, we – um, like, you know, again, we only had a chance to scratch the surface of some of the things, but she said a lot of things, you know, she, she identified an industry that was growing and there was some upside and that's how she got into tech. 
she mentioned that about her being intentional about uh, where she wanted to go. She identified a goal and then did her homework to research how to get there, which is really, really critical. Um, she had mentors and she named some powerhouses. And I know what you, some of you may be thinking, like, well, well, we don't have access to the same level of mentorship. Well, there's always something to learn from somebody. And even if you don't have that direct one-to-one with technology uh, and the Internet and social media and YouTube and things of that nature, you can identify someone who has characteristics you aspire to be and try your very best to, you know, just take gems or take little nuggets from uh, what they're doing. And so... Uh, just phenomenal. And now she has a new book um, that's coming out. So I encourage you guys to be able to to, to pick it up. But both the guests uh, are pretty, pretty awesome in terms of how they've been able to pivot to put in the necessary work. You don't go from here to there. You don't start at one level and get to the next level overnight. You have to be able to, to put in the necessary work to do it. And so to both my guests, Dr. William Yates and uh, Shelly Archambault, we definitely appreciate you here on the Urban Business Roundtable. Uh, that's all the time that we had this week. I want to say thanks again to the man on the ones and twos, the mighty Titus. Thank you, Titus. Thank you, Curtis. All right. And then also to our producer, the one and only Sonia Levine, who we never see anymore. I only talk to her. She's like, she's like the Holy, like the Holy spirit. We, she comes in the, in the midst when I need her. And then she goes away. <laughs> that's perfect. <laughs> yeah. She just comes when I need her. And then she's kind of, you know, you're there quietly, you know, throughout. But, you know, Sonia and I, we appreciate you and all that you do. Go to my website, curtisrmonday.com. Pick up the book, The Game, How to Become a Successful Real Estate Investor. Stay tuned. We've got more programming, great shows here on WVON. I'll be back at 11 a.m. with the show She Flips, He Flips with the one and only E.J. Williams. I don't do this for my first name. I do this for my last name. Chance Jordan Monday, Daddy Loves You. Say what you want to about me, but I always know that I did it my way. God bless.